for being here again. Thank you for being with us, taking time out of your day to worship God with us. We just really appreciate that. Honor you for doing that. When you pray with me, Lord, um, thank you for your word that your word is alive. We are told your word is full of life. It is God breathed. Lord, that uh, when the scriptures came forward, Lord, it was from your very heart. And uh, Lord, we just thank you that in it we find life, we find Christ, we find uh, Lord hope, we find truth. And Lord, again, I pray, Lord, that as we look at the Word of God today, you would speak to us, that you would illuminate the Word of God, that we would become more like Jesus. And Lord, again, as I've been praying, I'm just going to awakening. I pray, Lord, uh, for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you have opened eyes of our heart. God, that uh, Lord, although we might hear things again, Lord God, that you would just do a new work in our hearts to make us more alive to the things of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, if you haven't been with us, we just started a series on the parables of Jesus. Um, some of these weeks that I'm going to be in, uh, talking about the parables, why Jesus told these parables, what he was trying to speak as he told parables in the Gospels. We have him teaching. Um, sometimes it would be teaching his disciples. Sometimes it would be teaching a, a big crowd of people. Sometimes there was a smaller audience, and he would use parables to reveal um, several things. He was revealing who he was, why he came. He was revealing truth about the kingdom of God. Um, you know, Matthew 13. We're going to be looking a little bit of, of that later. Um, but uh, the truth about who he is, the kingdom of God, what God is like, and, and God's kingdom. And, uh, and again, revealing uh, the, the truth of, of who he said he was and his mission on the earth. And he had told his disciples, they said, why, why do you teach in parables? And he says, you know, these mysteries have been given to you, but not other people. And so I tell them to, and in his heart is to give them the opportunity to hear in a new way the gospel, the, the kingdom work, the kingdom truth, and not that all would hear, so he rejected. Again, he hears people hearing these parables, but Jesus was trying to give people an opportunity to come to that life transforming place of, again, of giving their hearts and their lives to, 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 uh, to God and the work of the, of the kingdom. And so last, uh, the last couple of weeks, we started in probably the most famous parable that Jesus ever told um, is the parable of the prodigal son. And, uh, and and so the first week we talked about the, the, the two stories that preceded that story, with the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, and this revelation that Jesus came to the earth to seek and save the lost. Remember when he had that encounter with Zacchaeus, that's what he said, and he said, the Son of Man came on mission, this is my mission statement, uh, Jesus is saying of himself, to seek and save those who are lost, and we are all lost in need of Christ, right? We were sinners. We were sinners saved by grace. And so he came to the earth to save us. And so in Luke 15, he begins by telling these two stories, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin. And it reveals the heart of God, again, the kingdom of God, the mission of Christ, to go after lost people. And there's something interesting that unfolds as he tells us. Then he goes into the prodigal son to kind of strengthen his, uh, his point further. But if you look at the beginning of... Luke 15, here's who he's talking to. 
And it says this at the beginning, before he tells all three of these stories, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prophet sent us. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all, what? Drawing near. Isn't that a beautiful thing? I, I, I love that phrase. They were drawing near, near to him. The sinners, the broken, the hurting, they were drawing near to him. And that didn't mean that he compromised and said, you're okay being in sin. They knew they were sinners. They knew that they were broken, but they were being drawn to him. And I'm thinking of the church, if we were following Christ, shouldn't people be drawn to the message, the gospel, be drawn to the church? Now again, some reject, but some will be drawn. And these sinners are being drawn. They're near to They want to hear what he has to say. But then look at the second group that are there. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumble, but they're right there. They're in the same, you know, whatever this is, if this was a house, a room, or some sort, he's there teaching, and these two groups are there. So you have the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious, the church people of the day, right? Jesus came, they missed him as Messiah. You know, they're looking for the Messiah to do something else, and so the religious people, they're grumbling, saying, this man will be sinners and even eats with them. And they're just, you know, they can't believe that Jesus would do such a thing because, you know, that religious spirit says that you push those people away from you. You don't hang around those people. They might, their filth and their dirt might get on, and Jesus would go toward those people. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, Zacchaeus, Matthew, you have story after story where Jesus goes to broken people because he said, that's why I came. And so you have these two groups that are there, and he tells these two stories. And so last week we looked at the prodigal son, and then and so we're going to kind of unpack this. Last week we looked at the father, and Jesus was saying, there's three characters in this story. You have the father, you have the younger son who left, and we're going to look at him today, and then you have the older son. Again, who is he, is he speaking to? Lost people, the younger son. And then he says, also the older son. We're going to look at the older son next week. He represents church people. He represents what can happen when we lose the joy of our salvation and we forget why Christ came and what our place is. But he first talked about the Father. You know, and, and last week he said, Who's the Father? And Jesus said, The Father in the story is God. His heart is toward broken people's heart is salvation, the mission of God, again, that sin separated us from God, and God's response was the cross, and we heard some words come out this morning, is God's response to our rebellion, God's response to our sin, was to send Christ, who died on the cross, out of great love for us. And so you have this father, this boy who leaves, and we're going to talk about him leaving, but he comes back and you see these two things of the father. First of all, the father let him go, right, in the story. And there's a sovereignty of God that will sometimes let you go and be God of your own life because the intention is that He wants you to realize that you do a pretty awful job without Him. And they were horrible gods. And He let the Son go. He gave Him His ship, the estate, and the little of the Son left and, and, and wrecked His life. And so the first response is sometimes you say, you know, he, He's intent on going to and let Him go. But then what happened when He came back? This Father who was looking for Him ran to Him. And Jesus is saying, you know, Jehovah God, mighty God, the creator of the universe, all, and he's talking to these religious people too, and they have had this sense of God as creator, and 
you know, that, 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 that intimacy, that relational part of God was maybe a bit foreign. Some of them had glimpses of it, like David we see in the Old Testament. But Jesus is saying this powerful Yahweh, amazing creator God is the God in the story. And when someone repents and they turn their hearts to him, it sets his heart full of love for them. And he went and he embraced his son who smells like a pig in his brokenness. And that's who the Father is. That's who God is. Don't let anyone else try to tell you that there's a different picture of God than that. And Jesus is saying, this is who God is. And a lot of times, people get disillusioned because they have a different view of God. They see Him as angry at heart. He is holy, but He's so filled with compassion. And so, again, we're going to open our hearts again to, to look at the second character in this story of the prodigal son. We're going to look at the youngest one that leaves his father but then comes home. And so as we, again, we saw last week, the heart of the father, we're going to look at this boy and, uh, and, and, and again, the, the lies that, you know, that, that a lot of people think is if you walk away from God, you can never come back. But instead, we see him as running to us when we repent that he restores us and redeems us because that's a part. Isn't that beautiful? Makes me love God more and more. Let's read that story. So let's go to Luke 15. We read about the younger son. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. And so Jesus told these two stories about God's heart. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. This is a very offensive thing. Dad hadn't even died yet. You didn't get your estate until Dad died. It's kind of normal in our day, but it would have been very expensive back then. So he, what did the, what did the dad do? He divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off to a distant country, as far away from the father's house as I can get. And the reason why Jesus is a distant country, he is getting away from the father as far off as he can get. Some people wander off and they are trying to get away from God and get away from the things of God. And why does that happen? Or people maybe they not, they've never been become a Christian and they just reject the idea of God. You know, religion looks like it's harsh. Religion looks like rules. Religion looks like, and some people have just believed lies about religion. Or religious church people have we've done some damage that we need to repent of. So it's not just on them. And sometimes we paint this picture, and they don't want any part of what we got. But he goes off in this far country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living, the Bible tells us. So he cast off restraint. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. I think that might have been set up by God. Okay. There's that. So famine causes us to be hungry. And just like when Jesus dealt with the woman at the well, there's this natural place where they would draw water. And he said, I'll give you water that you'll never thirst again. And this boy who is starving, and so there's this spiritual hunger and thirst that we have. He comes up and he's really physically hungry, but really there's something deep in him that's so spiritually hungry and I'm needing. So he's caught himself in a famine and he begins to be in need. Verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Here's how bad it is. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so when the pig food starts looking good, you know you're in a bad place. It's a bad, bad place. 
And so I, 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 lo- I love this. He says, verse 17, when he came to his senses, light bulb comes on, there's an awakening in his heart. He's down there on his knees. He's in the work office. He's come to the end of himself. And he says, how many of my father's tired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Verse 18, I will set out and I will go back to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, and here again, we see this beautiful picture. And Jesus is talking about God. He said, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Verse 21, the son still has his rehearsed speech, right? The father is hugging him in his pig-stench clothing. Father, I have sinned against heaven against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate for the son of mine was dead and alive again. He was lost and he was, but now is found. So they began to celebrate. The Father, in a sense, celebrating, saying, This my Son has come home. Guys, this is the heart of God. This is the gospel of Jesus. This is the message that we proclaim to the world. And it, again, when you give a revelation, you're like, Hello, I mean, uh, would you rather eat with pigs or belong to God? And to us, that belong to God, we say it's obvious that. The enemy, there's a battle for the souls of men, and that's why we, as the people of God, we have to catch the vision mission that Jesus came to seek and save the lost and transform their lives. Because that is what He has done for us. So Jesus shows us in this story, showing us the selfishness and the sinfulness of this younger, rebellious son. How did He end up where He ended up? How did he get there? How did he return home? Let me pause for a moment because there can be two types of persons here. A lot of us, again, we can get too religious and say that Jesus is merely talking about lost people, those people that are far away from God. But again, there's a duality when Jesus is teaching. Remember the lost sheep. He's saying you know, that, 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 that the shepherd goes away from the 99 and he finds the lost sheep and he leaves the, the 99 in open country. And there's a reason why he said that is because he said to the religious, basically, you guys are like the 99, now you're left in open country. You're open for the wolves. You're open, you know, because the normal shepherd would put a pan around and make sure they're safe and then go off to the one. And Jesus said, you don't even realize that you are now a lost because I'm going to follow and, and track, track down that lost sheep. You should be coming with me. And they stay in their little group, but they're in the open field out in the middle of nowhere. And now they actually are the ones that are lost and want them to realize it. So there's a duality here. And it's easy for us to look at the story and say, the younger son represents people that are not saved, they're not Christians, and they're far away from God. But I think that there's also, it's people that maybe have walked with the Lord and they are away from God. Because you notice he was in the Father's house, right? He belonged there at one point. And something in him said, I can be a better God than, I can, you know, I can, I can, be, I can be better than my father's house, and so I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. And so he leaves, and, but he was there. And so it's very easy for church people, again, just to look at the story and say, this is just about lost people. But if we're not careful, sometimes we can wander. 
And we can wander away. And then we can begin to reject the things of God. So as Jesus speaks, you know, a lot of, you know, it's very easy when, when we hear these things to nudge or have in our mind, oh yeah, that's so and so, that's wrong What is God speaking to us if we regard our hearts? Because the younger son didn't just wake up one day in the pig pen, right? There was a progression that happened. He ended up there by making a series of choices. These are stewardship choices. What are you doing with the life you've been given? And ultimately, boil down to this. I will be God of my own life, and I'm going to reject God. I don't want you to be God of my life. I will do a better job than you. And so how did it happen? So we're going to look at this journey of waking father. How did it happen? It can be very troubled. So we're going to look at this. The first thing is this. Discontentment. Discontentment. I can do better with my life. I'm not having any fun. This is the sun, right? Give me my share of the estate, what will do to me? And it says that he goes out and he spends it on wild living, but I'm not having fun. I'm bored with this life that I'm living. I want to experience some adventures for me. Well, what about me? God's holding out on me. This is the lie in the garden. This is what the, the enemy told Adam and Eve is, is basically God's holding out on you. Did he really mean that? Did he really say that? In other words, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. You have your best interest in mind. God wants you not to experience everything. Remember, because God said, don't touch this tree. And there's that act of free will that God gave them. And so God, the enemy is saying, God does not want you to experience everything that you could. He's holding out on you. And that lie, folks, and it, and it looks different ways to different people. There's a subtlety to the enemy. The God is holding out on you. Not having that much fun. I'd rather have an adventure. Other people that live, that don't live for Christ, they seem to be having lots of fun. The grass is greener, right? I heard someone say this, the grass is greener on the other side because there's more poop. Can I say that in church? Just did. Be careful what you long for because the enemy makes it enticing. It's temptation, right? We're all tempted. Jesus was tempted yet without sin. But he makes it enticing. Come on over here. It's better. There's a restlessness that begins to stir in our heart. What did Paul say in, in Philippians 4? Remember that I can do all things to Christ who gives me the strength. You know that one. But before that, what is he talking about? I'm not contentment. I found, I found the secret in Christ to be content no matter what. And that's why he said, I've been, I, I know what it is to be content if I don't have much or if I have lots. If I'm hungry or if I'm full. Because he says this, because I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. My contentment is not in my circumstances. My contentment is in a person with Jesus in a relationship with him and saying, I want to be content because, again, we have those stirrings. We have those times and those seasons where we're tired, we're bored, we're hurting, and, and the enemy tries to entice us away. That you can do a better job. Restless. Culture is constantly feeding me. It's on TV, it's on advertising. 
You have to have this. You have to have this. You'll be talking, and they won't say it, but they portray it. I'm not saying you shouldn't have new stuff, and don't get me wrong. But it's it, it sometimes it, when it becomes the place of contentment in me. The people that we admire and we idolize in culture, movie stars and musicians, and all of them, just how many of their lives are contented? Most of them are so unhappy when you boil right down and it looks like you have everything. And some people will go after this and just, oh, if I make a lot of money, that's it. Or if I do this, or have sexual experiences, or have drug or alcohol, that's going to feel something, that's going to do something in me that's going to make this feeling of contentment happen. It's all fake. It's all a facade. But there's this discontentment. Now, let me pause here. Now, the Bible says that sin is joyful for a season. So the Bible doesn't diminish, no. You're never going to have fun. No, you'll have a lot of fun. But, but the, the Scripture says that it's joyful for a season. But what's the end game? Destruction, ruin, bitterness, hopelessness, peace, and joy gone. Because it's all a false sense and it's all temporary. And so we have to guard our hearts about this rest of this discontentment that will creep into us. And it starts with a feeling. It starts with a subtle thing that we're contracting by our feelings. Feelings of feeling trapped in joyless in our walk with the Lord. And that's again, when you find yourself in a situation where you trust God and you trust Him to Christ. And, and it's going to have to go beyond feeling. Because the last thing we're looking at feeling that that helps us to to get over that meat. And sometimes Christ blesses and holds the blessings of feelings, but we cannot base it on that. That's why it's a walk of faith in your circumstances. You know, the season of circumstances are hard. But the Lord is calling. Let me be your contentment. And so it started with this void, this discontentment. Then what did that lead to? Nothing number two, to reckless living. And so if we listen to the lie of discontentment and we allow it to rule, it leads to reckless living. This younger son demands his own way, he becomes his own God, and he went away and he wasted his money on wild living. He cast off restraint, he withheld nothing from himself. I will give my, I will give into everything, I'm going to experience everything, and he had some fun for a while. Money, because we have, you know, we're, we're, we're understanding is his, his father is very rich, and, and, and Jesus is saying God has all everything, and, and, and so He gives him half the estate, and he, he has much, and He has all this money, instead of making him happy, and He goes off, and we're told by the older brother, and so this son of yours goes out, and he wasted on prostitutes, and so He is withholding nothing from Himself. Excess. He felt a sense of freedom. I feel free. Nobody's telling me what to do. I'm free to make my own decisions. I'm not stuck anymore. And it felt great for a while. And some of us know this story. It's all our story. We live how we want to live, and we can waste part of our life. Some of us have, again, the testimonies of being and living that kind of life. But ultimately, all sin boils down to whether it's wild living. But you know, you can live a nice mortal life and be away from God. Because then you trust your own morality, your own niceness. It's not meant to be nice to get you to heaven. 
It's repentance. It's turning from our sin. Because we can be moral and miss out on God too. And that's that religious kind of mindset. But both are me being God because it's my own morality or I just reject altogether. But both are sense that I will become my own God. So we have this sense of freedom. He walks from his dad's house. And we think that we can have more fun following our own rules than following God's rules. Again, my encouragement and my plea to you today, there could be some here that might be on the verge of making a decision that you may do not left this place and you are just a couple of decisions away from kind of walking into however you want to walk and that sense of walking and coming on God and it's going to lead you to a place that will be fun for a while, but it won't last. And in that place of reckless living, we begin to justify how do I know? I've been there. We justify it. We rationalize it. We say, well, you know, we, 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 no, it's bad, but yeah, at some point I'll come up to God and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll know, but I guess it's have to be fun for a while. Or worse yet, we begin to biblically justify it. Well, God doesn't mind. God, God knows where I'm at. God knows my heart. And we can reject God's holiness and his standards because you know, he just doesn't place because he loves them. And he doesn't want us to destroy our lives, but we have good for us. Do we really believe that? And again, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. That passage means it's temporary. But there is an end that's coming to it. It's momentary, it's fleeting, but it will cost you. And the consequences can be detrimental. And so our Father sees the big picture and wants the best for us. And I know I've heard the story, but if you haven't heard the story, it still works for today. Well, when we adopted Judah a few years ago, and this little boy that you know, we just lost so deeply and dearly, and he was, I mean, I just can't imagine life without him. And we went into this process of adopting him. And Many of you know his story. His feet did not work. They were severely deformed. And he walked on his knees. And, um, you know, we didn't know how severe it was until we got him home. And they said they were going to have to amputate both feet. And it was just a painful thing to hear because it's a child and we love him. And he still knew. He doesn't know us. It's not like, you know, he's thinking, you rescued me. You guys are awesome. And, and uh, you know, he just said, you guys are new, a bunch of white faces, and, you know, like looking at me, and, and I don't know what you're doing. And he, and he would go around on his knees, and so, you know, six months after we get him to take him to surgery, and they remove his feet, and, uh, and, and, and the pain of that, and then seeing sadness and grief. But we knew something was coming. As a dad, it hurt my heart that you could, you could see something that was coming. It's like, you don't see it now, but you're going to walk. You don't see it now, but the plan for you is that you won't have to walk on your knees for the rest of your life. And we go through this process, and sometimes it's painful, and sometimes it's long, and there were days that, you know, there were days that we felt long. We first get across Jesus, and you know, you would think that, oh, it's wonderful, he's hated on me. They hurt. 
she took to the great pastor and the dreams that they could buy on the house and all that. We talked to the most of them to And now it's funky. I don't know that he's doing one day, he's got this little tiny walker and he's crying. Keep going, buddy. You can do it. Walk and cry. And it was so painful to walk this way. I took him a walk. He created the walk. And then you see later on where he begins to take his strength and he begins to feel the freedom that, oh, this is what this is. And now I can run and now I can jump and I can play. And you see him now on it. Man, it's like, oh, where's the building? You know, we're chasing because there's this sense of this is what I was created to do. God sees a father like that. It's broken. I mean, and it's just a picture. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm you know, like God in these pictures. God sees the big picture. And you can see, you know, like, oh, God's feeling his fun. And, and, you know, that we're, we're just trying to. And it, it, it's like, but see, what are you people doing to me? You bring me into your family, and this is why you, this is what I get. And it's like, no, there's a sense of belonging. I'm giving you my name. I'm giving you all that I have because I'm your dad now. You are adopted into this family, and now you have my name. We are told that we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. This is the gospel. And Jesus brings us into the family through the spirit of adoption, and he gives us his name, Christ Christian. Christ called me. And the pain and sometimes the things that we go through, and it's easy to get into that place of, I mean, this is no fun at all. And God just says, wait, I see a bigger picture than you can see. Because you were created to do something, and I'm going to take some of your life, and I'm going to take the hurt and the broken, the pain. I'm going to redeem it, and you're going to be running, and you're going to be who I've created you to be. Somebody else get a two-thousand three. He has, he wants our best. Created us for purpose. So the third thing is the ruined life. And this again is from the mercy of God. And the money ran out, his friends all disappeared. Notice it was wild living, and he seems to have had a lot of people around, but when you run out of money, all of a sudden your friends disappear. Not your true friends. Because it says he's left alone and nobody gave him anything. Where were all the friends? Where was you know, should we spend any more money? Where were those people at? You know, they think that they would, you know, dude, sorry, let me help you. No, we're gone. We, we, we take him for you, and that's it. We're gone. He finds himself in the mud and manure. He hires himself out to this farmer who's taking those pigs, and we find him starving to death. He had tried it all, and what did it do? It was enjoyable for his season, but left him in despair. This is the end game. Despair, brokenness, hurt which is a natural consequence of living that kind of life. Sometimes it happens sooner than later, but the end game's always the same. There's no true peace, there's no true joy, and there's no true contentment. You're never satisfied. And again, what the enemy does is he'll just take you from thing to thing, and some people just like, well, let's try that. Well, that, after a while, it's fun for a little while, and then we go to this, and we go to this, and then we go to this. It keeps leaving us empty, empty, wanting more. And there's a reason why God allows that. And he says, again, my God, like, just wanting to work this. He wants you to, in his mercy, to see that life like that, it leads you to emptiness. For I want to give you life to the fullest. 
And in my mercy, I'll let it all run out, and I'll let you run to the end of it yourself because I want you, and I have a better plan. And so he finds him destitute eating pig's food. Here's the good news. You can come back home. You can come back home. You don't have to wait until you reach the pig pen. You know, that boy, I just think of this story too, and this is my act of imagination. He could have had his, all the money bags filled, and he could have been, and you know what? He could have got to the end of that road and thought, this is crazy. And he would turn, the father would have the same response, and he ran out to him and embraced him. So we don't have to wait till we get to the pig pen. We can come home. There's hope at any time you can return to the Father. Let's watch how the Son comes home. So this is the return. Number one. The first thing that happens is there's an awakening. That's one of our theme words of the year. Verse 17 is that he came to his senses. Isn't that a beautiful thing? This is work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will get one of the, one of the things that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit is he convicts and he wants us to Christ and he wants our hearts to awaken. And so, this is a turning point in this parable. Before you can return to God, you must first realize that you're a mess without Him. Suddenly, He looks around, He sees Himself for who He really is. I'm a horrible, lousy God. And I'm, I've, I've wrecked this thing. He looks down, He's repulsed by what He sees of Himself. Sin has blinded His eyes, but now the light bulb comes on and He can see that He was in a mess. Then he realized, he said, uh, you know, I was made for something better than that. He was tired of sin. You can just sense his exhaustion. This is just exhausting. Being your own God, doing your own thing, calling your own stuff, it just gets tired. He wanted to go home. It was a painful realization. It was a humble realization, but it was a beautiful realization. And so true humility is the only way that we can come back to God. Remember what David said when he blew it. He had had an affair. He had the woman's husband killed, and he lived with this horrible stuff. And what did David say in Psalm 51? He put a broken and contrite heart God you want. That's why, in other words, God, you love humility. You love when we are truly humble and we say, God, God, turn to that from the heart. He won't despise that heart. Again, where, where are you today? Are you at the brink of straying away? Is discontentment resting in your heart? Maybe you've never given your life to Christ and all of this is kind of new to you and you're far away from God. This is the God that we serve, that He said, I want you to be in my family. Yes, you are a sinner, but I, my son died for that sin so that I could bring you to myself and that we humble, humble ourselves and say, I, I need you, God. And wherever you're at, you can move toward the Father and Move toward God and then let that let today be an awakening. But you know you have to move past awakening, right? There's a sense of that, but it's more than feeling bad. It's more than feeling the light bulb man. I sure realize there's a lot of people that realize that they've had the awakening and they're not moving to the next step and that's moving toward home, right? They just realize I'm in a mess and I'm in a mess and the enemy will just keep you there. You're in a mess and just stay there. So the second thing that happens is this. It's true repentance. What does he say? Verse 18. He said, I have sinned. 
I, me being God, I have sinned. I, I have rebelled. I'm admitting my rebellion and my sin against God, against my Father. That's what the Bible calls that we confess our sins. And so confession and repentance are kind of two sides of the same coin. Confession always precedes repentance. When you confess the sins, you're not notifying God what you've done, right? You're not going, here's what I'm confessing, God. I didn't know if you knew this or not, but I'm a sinner. You know, God's got, oh, thanks. Appreciate the information. Confession is that we come into agreement with God about our sin. God already sees it. He knows where our hearts are. He's lovingly saying, come back to me. You're, you're living that life. You're going to, you're going to go into destruction. But then you display a measure of remorse and regret over your sin. And that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. That remorse, that regret, it's what Paul talks about. There's a sorrow that leads to repentance. There's also the sorrow that doesn't lead to repentance. That just means I'm sorry that I got caught. How many have been there when you were a kid? How many have been there when you were an adult? You know, Dad, I'm sorry. Mom, I'm sorry. And they're like, yeah, you're sorry because you got busted. But there's a true sorrow that leads us to repentance with regret. So we go, oh, God, help me. Right there, the enemy comes in with shame, condemnation. You're, you're ruined, Satan. You take in. That's all that you've ever been created for. Stay there. And God can get out and come. Because and I've already paid the price. You come. So humility moves towards home. And the Father, to, to repent of, you know, of his sin, so there's a change that's happening at the beginning of the story. He's saying, give me. It's mine. Me, me, give me, give me. And now it says this. He says, after repenting, he was saying, make me. Make me a servant. Although he didn't have it completely right yet. But make me. God, I want you to mold me. I want you to shape me. I want you to tell me who I am. Instead of give me, make me. It's turning from me being God to allowing Jesus to be the Lord, the ruler, and the Savior of my life. True repentance is not just admitting that you're in the pit pen. It's getting out of it. It involves, again, feeling more than just regret or remorse. It's being willing to walk away from your sin and walk toward God. Changing your mind about your behavior and then being willing to change your behavior, allowing the Holy Spirit to make those changes in your life. Because Jesus doesn't condemn us, but He does demand repentance, Right? The woman at who was caught in the act of adultery, remember the religious people brought her, they threw her down, they caught her in the act of adultery. And Jesus said, Here, those, of you, those of you without sin, cast it for stone. They're like, oops, and then drop the rock to go home. Jesus looks down for her and he says, I don't condemn you. But what did he say to her? Go and sin no more. In other words, stop being the God of your own life. Lady, I love you. I don't condemn you. But don't, stop being God of your life. Go and sin no more. That the life that you're living will lead you to ruin and destruction. I don't condemn you, but you will you will walk off the cliff of condemnation of yourself. Go and sit in the more I'm calling you to a better life. And then the last thing is this, and I'm closing with this, that he returns home. Verse 18, he says, I will go back. So he comes to extensively admits this thing and makes his way towards home. I will go back. He resolved to take action. 
It was an act of his will that he decided to demand his inheritance to run away from home, and it was an act of his will that he decided to get out of the pen and go home. And so there's a contrast of his attitude from when he left. He, before it was, I'm, I, I can do better. You're holding out on me. I'm arrogantly leaving home thinking that my way is better going towards what I think is freedom. And now he's weak, thin, dirty, humbled. He now knew the truth that, of his father's home and his father's home. It wasn't to hurt him. Dad's rules were not to hurt me. They weren't to take from me. They weren't to hold out from me. But they were actually there to give me to life. And you notice, again, how he struggles on his way home. After all this, he's repenting. He still doesn't have a full revelation of God's love. And some of us are stuck in that place. We wrestle truly with how much God loves us. So what is he thinking? He's rehearsing this speech to his dad. Make me a servant. I'm not even, well, you don't even have to call me son anymore. But your servants have it way better than I do. So he's rehearsing this speech. So he's wrestling, right? He's struggling. But he knows that I need to move toward home. The, the revelation of repentance, I'm going home. And now I'm wrestling with who I am. And a lot of people are stuck in that place of wrestling. They go, can God love me that much? Can you really love me that much? Because the enemy will lie to you and just say, no, God doesn't love you. You're no longer where you call sin. It's actually, you should probably just stay in the faith, and that's what you deserve to be. And then we could say, yeah, I deserve to be in the big, the pigpen, but guess what? Jesus called into the pigpen for me and brought me out. So he's rehearsing and struggling, and he's fighting this thing. You know, I don't no longer worry whether he would call the son. Then his back is running. We talked about that last week. The dad, and Jesus said, This is who he follows. He runs to this stinky kid who has just wasted everything half the dad's resources. And this dad picks him up, and you can see this picture of him just embracing this boy, kissing him, weeping, saying, You're home. And what does the boy do? You think that he'd go, Oh, yes, I'm home. He goes, Dad, I need to tell you something. He's still struggling. And he goes through the speech. Dad, no one knows where the dad may be disturbed. And the dad doesn't even respond to that. When we bring our condemnation to God, he doesn't listen to that because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That stuff isn't over you anymore. And the father, he said, Dad, I'm no longer going to be condemned. I'm condemned. And, and, and the father's like, go get the ring, go get the robe. This stuff, like, this is more than just... A cool little ring. This was identification. This was, you belong to me. The robe was a sense of belonging and saying, you have a place in my home. Your position as a son is still good. You didn't lose that. I'm not kicking you to the servants' quarters. You belong in my house. You are a son of mine. Bring shoes for his feet. There's this sense of covering. I'm covering you again. I'm bringing you in again. Guys, this is not his story. This is all of our story. My question is, what will your response be today to this word that Jesus is trying to speak to us? Again, maybe you're here and you don't know God at all. You've never given your life to Christ. And you hear this invitation for the first time of this is what it means to walk as a Christian. And you have been the God of your own life all your life. And, and, and now this means that you're all... I don't know if I'm totally living like this. And God is calling me. 
Maybe you're here today that you've been walking with the Lord. There's that sense of discontentment, restlessness, and you're thinking you're probably decisions, bad choices away from making some very, very life-altering decisions to think that I'm missing out on all the fun. I'm missing out on freedom and this thing is so suffocating and I don't like this and, and, and the enemy's enticing and the temptation is enticing and God's saying, God, Lord, I have good for you. So whether, again, you're there in one place or the other, God is saying, come home, turn around, go to the big end, come back to me. But you've never come, come to me. I have good for you. Will you stand with me? God, please let us have a sense of who you are as our Father. Lord, help us to reject the lies of the enemy that try to paint you in any other way than what Jesus is Lord, you are holy, you are righteous, you are powerful. You call us away from sin to repent of our sin. But Lord, your love and your compassion is way bigger than any of us could ever realize. And let us taste of your love and your compassion. I think for each person in this room, Lord, in the, in the person's place of their own heart, God, if they are sitting there and they're thinking about, Lord, what is what has been said, the scripture, Lord, that what you're trying to speak over them, Lord, that we would come out of being our own God and we would uh, once again look at God, you be the God of my life. I want to live you. I want to come into your house. I'm going to live with you because you do have my best interest in mind. And again, guys, in the quietness of your own heart, you can confess and admit that to God and say, Lord, I give you my life. And if you do that, if, you, if you're doing that today, and you're trying to you to tell somebody, you can tell me after church, you can tell somebody, say, you know what, I, I did that today, and, and, and I gave my heart, came back to the Lord, and there's a celebration in heaven when we do that. I love that they made it public. Jesus did that. He said, we went and everybody. And so there's a sense of just letting someone know, because you need encouragement, you need accountability, and you need to grow in the things of God. So, Lord, we love you. Thank you for who you are. Lord, so keep our hearts today, this week. We're also praying for a celebration lunch in the middle school that there'd be a great time to fellowship and fun. Thank you for the food that you provided. We ask that you would bless it, bless our time together. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Everyone's done. Amen. Hopefully,